can't really process the trauma while you're in it. Put on a different self. Let me play my part. Check two, hey. Like, is that real? Did that happen? Like, <laughs> the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like, I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. Yeah. Girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless because the body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to like create change. So he was just saying for the for the people watching remotely um, that basic training is basically supposed to kind of prepare you for a lot of those sorts of things. It's interesting to me that that's the take because doing this work now, this advocacy and outreach work with the foundation, I have a lot of people I look up to, um, grief counselors, you know, people who deal with eating disorders, people who deal with trauma survivors, and I ask them like, how do you deal with all these stories all the time, all these people coming to you, all these things? Like, I know people who help people whose kids have been murdered, and they're the ones who take that first grief counseling session. I'm like, how do you sit on that couch and take that, like, what do you do? And, and how do you keep from going crazy? They're like, we go to therapy. So I wish, in a way, that the military could adopt that. That is part of sharpening the sword. It's part of cleaning your gun. It's part of the maintenance. But do you think it would make people feel like they look weak? Well, oh. Yeah, go ahead. Well, one of the things, of course, when you're in the experience, your nervous system is so amped up, right? Like you're waiting to die, right? And so, or I don't know, I've never been in combat, but in traumatic experiences, your nervous system is turned up full volume, right? And, and so you can't really process the trauma while you're in it, right? Because it's not the symptoms and stuff don't show up until later, you're just in fight or flight, right? You're, right. And you're, you're, you're checked out into a defensive action or you're dissociated so that you don't, you know, like something bad is happening every night when I go to bed and then I wake up and I go to school and the perpetrator goes to work and we put on a different self, right? So we have this daily living part that goes and shows up at school or work and then I have this victim part that shows up at night, right? So that I dissociate but I can't necessarily do the work while it's still happening. That's does that make sense? Yeah, because the nervous system is too turned up. Sure. And, it, and, and I think your, your point of it, you would go and debrief and get counseling and then having to go back out and fight the next day, it probably would actually be really hard. On you the, think it would activate them a little bit more? I think so. I guess in my head I was wondering, like, does it have to be after that tour is over? Do they have to come back and, and be reintegrating into society and years later realize man, I've been holding in a lot and it's been, it's been hurting me in all different ways or could it be like during the tour, even if it's six months later? But I think if they did something like what we do, if there's a critical incident, we debrief about it, right? We'd say, what happened? How do you feel about this? You know, so this was a really hard day. Somebody died and how do you feel, right? So you do that and, and I think, I don't know if they do that in the military. I think something like that would be beneficial um, and actually might reduce the symptoms of or people coming back with such horrible PTSD. But I, sure. that's my opinion. Yep. I cut you off, though. Oh, did you have something else? 
There's lots of there's lots of stuff spinning around up there. So keep what, going. What's worth <laughs> what's worth sharing on YouTube? <laughs> well, I've got a bunch of other topics. Did everyone get their hand up? Did okay, yeah, go ahead. So I'll sum it up and then I'll kick it out to the panel. So the the comment was, a lot of people could join the military, um, having been inspired by something uh, that was already traumatic, a, a death from you know 9/11 or something like that. So I think that's a really good point to bring up. What if they come into the fight with those kind of, you know, predisposed um, issues? Well, I, I think that probably happens a lot. And I think there's a lot of trauma therapists who have traumatic experiences. Um, the mental health system is full of us who have had bad experiences. And so I think, I think a lot of the soldiers, and, and trauma, again, could be 9-11, it could be a death, it could be child abuse, it could be poverty. I mean, a lot of people went into the, you know, a lot of people went into the guard because of poverty. And I think poverty is traumatic. Living, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from, not knowing where you're going to live. So I think, and, and I think we see it with um, police and um, firefighters, where they probably come in with some trauma already, and then it, it piles on. So. For sure. Well, one of the reasons that they use children soldiers is because children don't think that they can die. And so they, they're really good soldiers. So they don't get it. At the, I think probably they're so dissociated, they're probably so cut off from that experience that they're kind of hollowed out, right? Like, I mean, we think about sociopaths are people who have really been hollowed out, so. Yeah. So he was just making a quick comment on neuroanatomy and what different parts of the brain form at different times, and some of those parts are meant to be able to cope with this sort of thing, and what do you do when it's not even an active part of your mind yet because of where you are in your development as a, as a child, as a human being. So that's a great segue into uh, memory and neuroanatomy um, as it relates to gaslighting because the memory is flawed and we can misremember things and we can remember things that were wrong. I've got all these, you heard in the documentary, all these phone calls with me and Cal talking and her talking to other people. So she had an app on her phone called Call Recorder and Lucky me, I've got 400 phone calls of us talking to each other, so um, it's very lucky for me to be able to hear her voice and, and also correct the record because I remembered a ton of stuff wrong. I'm like, wait, that happened in September? That happens to me all the time. But it's like you can't argue with the recorded conversation. So I'm curious, just a little crash course on memory, neuroanatomy, the physicality of it, and then talking about how do people know if they are remembering something wrong or if there is gaslighting and mental manipulation going on. I'm curious about kind of that whole realm. Small topic, just... just <laughs> Neuroanatomy. Well, okay, so what we know is that when something happens, at whatever point, our, our frontal cortex goes offline, right? So if I'm in a car accident, or I see something really bad happen in front of me, I go back into my lizard brain, right, into my fight or flight or freeze response. The defensive action kicks in because I'm being told there's danger. And so this part, I don't want to stop and think how long before that bus hits me, right? I just want to get out of the way. So the, when something bad is happening, the frontal cortex goes offline, and, and which is helpful because then we're not, we're able to take care of ourselves or be safe, and then it comes back online, and so things are always going to be a little bit fuzzy, right? And so, <clears throat> so that's one reason that memory is a little bit fuzzy. Um, the other thing is when I get triggered, my 
prefrontal cortex goes offline as well, right? So then I go back into the fight or flight response. And so <clears throat> in terms of memory and not remembering things or remembering things differently, I never challenge anyone's memories because I don't, I wasn't there. And um, that was their experience. And sometimes things happen before we have words for it, right? So things happen to little kids, they don't know. They don't have words for it, so of course they can't describe it. Or, and they can't describe it 25 years later because, again, they didn't have the words to describe their experience. And so I think that it's important for us to just, you know, notice that something happened and it's showing up in this way. Um, we use the body, right? So if I, see, if I say something to someone, if I do this and Matt ducks all the time, every time I raise my hand, then I'm gonna say, well, something happened to Matt because he thinks I'm gonna hit him, right? Or something's going on where he's ducking. And so the body will store the memories even if we don't have words. And so the defensive actions that wanted to happen at the time are locked in there and they're gonna show up. And so that's, that's how we would access it, you know, to start to say, I wonder what happens because every time I put my hand up, you go like this, let's, let's explore that. And we start to kind of figure it out. So I don't know if that answered all of your question or... No, it's, it's a good start on like the, the anatomy of a memory and, and stuff like that. So yeah, go ahead. Well, I, and I, I think denial is a tricky word. I think we try to deny what happened because it's, it's, a, it's unbearable, right? The event was unbearable. And so it's much easier for us to not remember it than to think about it clearly. And so yeah, it's going to show up in the body if, if something happened to you and your defensive action system is going to start to kick in whenever we talk about mom, for instance. It's like, okay, so let's figure this out um, and let's explore that a little bit. Was, does that answer your question? And, and the memories, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter. Right? I, you don't have to tell me what happened. I don't really need to know. Just know that something happened and let's work on that and let's see if we can restore that, that act of triumph and get you through it. So I think that that's the other important piece is that you know, if people have fuzzy memories, well, it makes sense. Usually we remember things kind of like, um, oh, like slideshows, right? Quick Snapchat. Quick, yeah, Snapchat. The other thing is, the other part of it is sometimes we remember it very, very clearly like the movie Saving Private Ryan, you know, that opening scene, that's horrific. That was actually from World War II veterans who were there, and they remembered it very, very clearly. Because it, like, it, the mem normal memories kind of go into our experience, go across the corpus callosum, and get stored kind of like a black and white photo. But trauma sometimes gets locked in, and it stays there. It doesn't integrate into the brain. And so if I pull up, even if it's just a snapshot, Snapchat <laughs> of the memory. <laughs> I know. My kids are like, Mom, <laughs> Snapchat. But so even if it's just that little glimpse of it, it's very vivid and real. And so that's the thing is you might not remember all of it, but it's, it's there enough. So you said something that's interesting. I'm jotting it down here. Um, when you said the brain doesn't integrate trauma, so it has to go somewhere else, or it has to, or it has to, it's, all, it's like something that's entered the room that's not big enough to hold it, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how we're well, let's talk about how we're whole, and what are some steps that lead towards that? Right, well, 
So what we try to do is we try to restore a sense of being able to um, defend yourself and take care of yourself. And so that would be, in the way I do it, we do, <clears throat> we bring back the experience and we um, go through the, the defensive action that wanted to happen. So maybe I wanted to push away. So I had a car accident a few years ago and I was like, oh, my arms hurt so bad. And my kid said, well, that's because you were like pushing the steering wheel, like you were trying to push that car away. So it doesn't make sense, right? Like I knew I couldn't, but my body wanted to push away, whoops, push away from the experience. And so we let that happen and we let that sequence through and then bring in the new experience. Like, oh, I'm an adult now and I can take care of myself. They can't do that to me anymore. That's interesting. And people talk a lot about... Um like exercise and physical exertion being, you know, good for endorphins and good for depression and things like that. When you're in a military situation, if you're in a, you know, forward, what do you call it, forward area? What's it called? Uh, FOB, forward operating base. Or forward operating base. So you guys have to be in incredible shape, and yet you're dealing with this, you know, mental hardship. Um, is is the, the pressure to take care of your body, is that useful? Because you can do those 100 push-ups and work out whatever you'd had to deal with over the weekend, or is it just like more stress? Like, okay, I have to take care of my body so I don't have time to take care of my mind. Like, what's that like? I would say it's useful, and most of the taking care of the body, at least from our standpoint, happened before we were there. You know, when we were there, it's, you know, we had time to be on patrol 12 hours a day and, you know, get the Humvee worked on and then maybe grab some food and then hide from the heat. Whoever says 125, it's dry heat, it's full of shit. Dry heat. Um, that's all I got to say. It does. Yeah, it's dry, all right. That's why I'm soaked, and I just drank, you know, four gallons of water and didn't go to the bathroom. Any other questions, thoughts from, from the audience? You said we have five left, five minutes left? It's been 53. Okay. It's Mime Rock Show. We'll go uh -huh. as long as we want. I think if the conversation is going well and people are into it, does yeah. anyone care if we go five or ten minutes over? No. So, Teresa, I had a couple things when we were just talking about, you yeah. know, the, the mind and not remembering things, you know, and whole and stuff, you know. We do, a, we do an annual uh, hog roast and gun shoot, you know, and it'll be eight of us that were over in Iraq together, and we're sitting around the campfire, and it's like, holy shit, yeah, that did happen. Or, you know, and it's just, it's, because you have these, you know, every single day, you know, not every day, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, playing a video game, but a lot of days, you know, stuff happened, and to the extent of it is how you remember it, and it's just like, it's just funny, like, we'll be just chatting about something random or see something on TV, I'm like, oh, crap, that, that's right, you know, and right. it just, it pops into the mind, and, you know. So as a civilian, I think about, I want to ask a real quick question, and I'm, like I said, we have as much time as I want, so I'm going to make sure everyone can speak, but I don't want to forget this since we're on memory. As, as a civilian, um, you know, you watch movies like... Uh, whatever the one Michael J. Fox was in when I was a kid, Collateral Dent, whatever that was called, Casualties of War, different stuff like that where they're like, oh, this and that happened, they go to their commanding officer and their officer's like, no, it didn't. No, that didn't happen, don't worry about it, get back to, get back to your post or whatever. Is that real? Does that, does that happen to some degree as far as control of information in, in the military? And if so, like, do you have any advice for people that are getting into the military now on how to hold on to their grip on reality within a really authoritarian structure, which has to be that way, but there's downsides, right? I'm certain that does happen, but in my experience did not have it happen, um, where it's like, oh, hey, this didn't happen, you know? It's more of a, and we had great leadership, frankly. I don't know that everyone is, is lucky. You know, our leadership would stand behind our decisions no matter what, which was very, very helpful because you have to make 
split-second decisions that are life and death. And, and in some cases, they may not be the correct decision, but just knowing that they, they had our back regardless of the decision you made it, here's why you made it, we got your back, um, took a lot of the stress off of that. So I would say it just really depends on where you're at, what you're doing, and, and what's happening. So Have you heard of from the other people that you know in your network of anything like that taking place in the military? I'm just curious about if there must be so much pressure to maintain a culture and a mentality that goes, leads people to believe and behave a certain way that I'd be amazed if there wasn't anything that borders on gaslighting. Have you heard any stories, any examples, and anything that, that you've heard other people be concerned about? I mean, Abu Ghraib, if, if anybody remembers that from uh, 2004-ish, um, you know, would probably be a good example of that. Get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movement. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at kellynicolefoundation.org. Courage is from Amplified!